Hey moms, welcome to the Gather Moms podcast. My name is Kate. And I'm Rebecca. We've created this space just for you because we're both moms and we get you. Yes, we believe there truly ain't no hood like the motherhood and we need to be in this together. We also believe we can't mom well without Jesus. So you're going to hear us talk about him too. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gather Moms and make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. All right, mamas, let's jump in. moms my goodness we sure have missed you this summer and it feels so good to be back behind the mic connecting with you we are in the middle of teaching our tween to teen transition study it has been so fun to be back in person with mamas who are able to be in the room live with us and those joining us on facebook live The first week, Rebecca talked about how as our kids grow, we grow, and she helped us remember the significant transitions they are going through in this stage of their life and reminded us to point the hearts of our kids and our own hearts to our unchanging God in the midst of so much change. Then in week two, we talked about all things anxiety and body image and how we teach our children to correctly see themselves and see the world as their bodies grow. And then last week, Rebecca was up to teach again and talked us through our kids growing hearts and how to be successful in dating and friendships. You can access all of these audio recordings by becoming a Patreon supporter at any amount. You just go to patreon.com slash gather moms to get that content. And we'll also link that in the show notes. Whoop, whoop. So this week we are teaching our oh, session. They probably didn't know I was here the whole time. Oh, Rebecca's here. <laughs> <laughs> they probably thought it was just you. And they're like, oh, who's that random voice? Yeah, Rebecca's here. So we're sitting here in the podcast studio like we're recording a podcast, but it's basically going to be the audio teaching version of what I would have done in a live group. And um, we are teaching as purely audio because we have something major going on this week, but you're going to have to listen to the next episode to find out. I love a good teaser. What that is. Ooh. But we thought it would be fun to make this week's teaching available to everyone. So this week, as we talk all about our tweens becoming teens, we want to cover the topic of faith how we grow God in our kids, and specifically how we help our kids own their faith. So I thought it would be helpful for us to think back about um, how we were feeling and learning about God in this season to help us truly relate and empathize with our kiddos. It's so important because from us, you know, 20, 30 years later, wherever you are, it can be hard to remember. And some of the things that they're going through or that they don't get or struggling with, we're like, brush it off, right? But I I think it's a huge important step for moms in this stage to stop down and remember your middle school self. Remember your fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade self. And like, what was that like to help connect with your kids? So Becca, I want to know how it all started for you. We know you grew up in the bubble. So I'm sure you're like, (laughs) you knew Jesus as a six month old. But when did you come to know Jesus? Listen, I'm pretty sure I was there like the weekend after I was born, okay? Uh We went to church. So I grew up in a Christian home, and my dad was actually a pastor for a little bit. What? Um, We lived in Idaho, the state of Idaho. What? For several years, and he pastored a small church there, and my mom taught school. I was just a little bitty at that time, and then ended up coming back to Texas for work things, and now he's really just like Sunday school teacher, deacon, all things, you know, church guy. Wow. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home and came to know the Lord at an early age. I think I was five or six, and I don't remember it 
Um, like I don't have vivid memories of that moment. And so I remember in my tween and teen stage going through a time of doubt okay. because I didn't have that, you know, sin to life moment because I was a kid. Sure. And so I had to struggle with the Lord a little bit and I had great mentors and people in my life to remind me that, um, you know, it's about what God did in my heart uh-huh. and it's not about me having some specific memory. Now I do think, cause I work in student ministry, it's great for students to have a time where they know that they are changing from death to life and they're giving their life over to the Lord. And so I have gone with many a student through those doubts and struggles where they think that they did, but for some reason they just don't remember it clearly and they're kind of going back and forth. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, well, let's nail it down today. Yeah. Let's just sit down right now and let's just remind ourselves. And it's not like a new date or a second time around. It's just you putting the stake in the ground today to say, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So a lot of that came through my time in student ministry, and I was very involved in my church, had wonderful leaders and youth pastor wives, and went to church camp every summer, um, except for one, because I came home in the middle of the week because I was homesick. Uh-huh. And oh I, no! I you cried. Make it? I think I called my mom from a payphone oh, back in the day. The yeah, that was the only way we could call home. My youth pastor had taken like six of us to camp, and uh-huh. it was a huge camp, and so we were just you know invisible in this huge group. Uh. And one of the girls I went with found a new friend. No, so then you're already down one. I'm down one, and then I'm alone. <laughs> so I went home from camp that year, but I did go back again and Good. made it through the next time. So my mom still reminds me that she did not appreciate having to drive out to that camp site to pick me up oh I'm certain can you imagine Kate it was like two hours okay this was not the end of the world it was not across state lines like it was not that far so anyway um but that's where my spiritual formation happened was in youth group with um, my youth friends and my church friends and being in service and going to camp and doing those get-togethers, and it's not like it's revolutionary in the sense that, like, I can point back to, like, one particular sermon, uh-huh. but it's just that there was this habit in my life where it was a priority, yeah. and I was walking in life with other people that wanted the same things I did, so yeah. I felt like I was being encouraged and pushed forward in my faith um, along that journey. I love that. So my story obviously is a little different, you know, um, Steve and Judy were not my mom and dad. (laughs) Uh, and so I didn't grow up, I would say in a necessarily Christian home that, that maybe looks a little bit more like you, yours and my home look now. Um, but my parents were both very open to spiritual things. So my dad had grown up Catholic and his whole upbringing, he never missed a day of mass until he was 18 years old. You know, they were always there. Yeah. He went to Catholic private schools and did all the things, you know, he was taught by nuns and priests. And, um, but when he was 18, he was done with that and he rebelled against that. Uh, but I think he knew, you know, even with, when we were young, you know, my parents divorced when I was like four or five years old. So, um, but when I was with him on the weekends, he, I think he knew the importance of a, having a relationship with God. So at various times we would just go try out different churches. I have been to every type of church that there is. We tried out Episcopalian churches. We went to Baptist churches. We went to every kind because he just, I think he just wanted to expose us to, different ways to talk to God and, you know, help us find it ourselves, which honestly, I feel like that was one of the things that was a huge blessing for my upbringing was I do know that my relationship with God was a choice that I owned. I 
made that. Now he called me by his grace and he was the one that, that, that brought my, brought me to him, but it wasn't something that was just passed down to me. It was something that I had to own. Um, my mom had grown up in a Baptist, her grandfather was a Baptist preacher and was like hellfire and brimstone. And she remembered growing up in a home where they had these hot debates about sin and it was very dark and hard. And so she similarly rebelled against the faith and just kind of said, that is not a God I want to have a relationship with. Um, but then I think later in her years, you know, then when we were growing up, she did understand we did need to be connected to a higher power in some sense. So those are kind of my parents' faith stories, with, which I think influences so much what it's like for you as a child, right? So then when I was in elementary, I made a friend, Haley Brown, and um, when I would spend the night at her house, her family went to church on Sunday mornings. So they started bringing me to church. The first time I went to church with them, I did not, I didn't have church clothes. You know, we used to dress up. So Haley passed down clothes to me, and her mom actually took me shopping and bought me shoes and a church outfit. Yeah. And my parents, I remember my dad being kind of like, I don't think they wanted me to be treated like a charity case, but also like, okay, well, I guess that's nice. You know, I think it's so nice. Oh, so my nice. goodness. Yeah. Like, that's a memory that stuck with you all these years. This, oh, for sure. This Christian mom that kind of took you under her wing. Yes. And, oh, I just think it's precious. And she was my Sunday school teacher, I want to say, in like fourth grade or something. And I remember I... If we memorized all the books of the Bible, New Testament and Old Testament, we got one of those giant Hershey bars that, like, yes. you use for s'mores or something, like one of yes. those huge things. And I did it. And I remember getting my giant Hershey bar, you know. So that was Jane Brown. She made a significant impact on my life because I saw, you know, a Christian family modeled. Um, but then it was actually my older sister, Amanda. She was six years older than me and went to camp. Um, at TRM when she was 16, she came to Saving Faith and came home and lived it out. And so it was around the time I was in fourth grade, um, she started telling me more and more about Jesus. And that foundation had already been laid. Um, so and then in fifth grade, she led me in the prayer to receive Christ. We were sitting on her bed. That was so special. Yeah. And um, at the time, our little sister, Mercy, was with us, who was three years younger. And we thought she did at that time, too, but she said she didn't. It was later when I was in high school, that I was worshiping in my room and had the lights off and I was on my knees worshiping and mercy came in and that's when she prayed the prayer in my room with me. To you got to Christ. lead your sister. That's so cool. Yes. You passed it down from sister to sister. Yes. Sister, sister. So I think just to tell that story, to, to help parents here, help our mamas here, there are, there's no one way, there's no one right way to do it. And, um, you know, depending on whatever way your child comes to faith or you came to faith, there are still struggles along the way of what that looks like to own it for yourself. Uh, because then there did came a come a time for me then when I was around 16 years old, that then I fully surrendered my life to Christ. I think I'd been trying to, um, read the Bible and go to church and, but I didn't, I didn't really own it necessarily for myself, and there was a time, and I remember it so clearly, just when God asked me to surrender. I think I that's so important, too, the difference in the childlike faith and the maturing faith. Yeah. That I think Scripture speaks very clearly that Jesus welcomed children. Yes. And a lot of times he talked about, um, come to me like little children. Uh -huh. And just like we're teaching our own kids, they don't understand the big picture, but they understand enough. Yes. And so when you're a little baby that's five or six, whatever age, you don't have to worry that you're having to control some part of that faith for them. Yeah. 
when Jesus draws their heart, it is with childlike faith that they believe. Yes. And then it is a process after that where at some point along the way, they do make that choice their own for themselves and the idea of surrendering choices, lifestyle, beliefs, things like that. But I do think that a lot of times mamas get nervous when their little ones express wanting to receive Jesus. Yeah. They don't think they understand it fully. And I think that we don't have to be Jesus to them. Jesus is already drawing their hearts to himself. Yes. Yes. And and each child is different. And so you may have one kiddo that says at six years old, hey, I know I'm a sinner. I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you go, okay, baby, we're going to take you to talk to the pastor or whoever. We're going to get you baptized. But you may have another kid that says that. And you know that maybe... Maybe they're not actually quite there. Maybe they just think it looks fun to get in the pool with everybody and get dipped. And so you kind of, you know, slow play that one and watch it and have more conversations. You know, I, it's just different for each kid of, of what they're ready for. And that's okay. It's not, it's not one shoe, one size fits all for every kid. That's right. So I think it's interesting, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about church camp. We're in the middle, you know, in the summer, in the middle of church camp season. And for our tweens to teens, this is this is, they're going to church camp, right? And they're potentially going without us. And it's just a whole new thing. That Praise th- the Lord for that. Yes. Please get on that bus. Yes. Go right on to camp. <laughs> I'll wave as you go. Yes. And I'll watch your, wash your stinky clothes when you come home. Yeah. Do I have to? Well, yes, you do. Okay. Or he can, but. He can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious for, for you, you know, in your own experience as a youth, as a tween to teen, and then, you know, from what you've seen in youth camp, what should we be on the lookout for when they come home to kind of help them in their spiritual formation? What kind of things have they experienced? What what kind of can we do and should we not do as mamas? Well, I think, first of all, we have to prioritize the importance of groups for our kiddos in regards to Christian groups. They need exposure to groups like church camp, small groups at church, having another adult in their life that's speaking into them, having youth mentors, even if it's just older high school kids, leading them and speaking into them because there's so much that we try to say to them that goes in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And these leaders are probably saying the exact same thing you are, but it's coming across very differently to our tweens and teens. So just the idea of allowing them to be in a position where another Christian leader is speaking over them is so important. Love that. There is something about getting away to a campsite in the middle of nowhere that's really hot Mm -hmm. and not having your parents there, even though it is a sense of freedom and they probably are doing some pranks and things like that. Sure. There's also a sense that they're on their own. And when the speaker gets up to share the message, they are having to take that in on their own. And then they're processing it in a group with Mm. their other friends and a Christian leader that's helping them walk through that. There's so much to be said for that because it really is just what you said. It's allowing them to make that their own. Yeah. Now there's lots of emotions that go with church camp and, you know, relationships and cute boys and girls. Uh And I feel it. I'm just crying because everybody around me is crying. Sure. But I still think that those are some of those experiences that are so important for our teens. We all had them. There is no harm in them having them too. And when they come home, that's where you get to step in and then begin helping them process after the fact. Because what I have seen over and over again, just like mamas, you know this happens in your life when you have something big coming up and you feel the enemy starting to attack and trying to make you distracted and frustrated and angry. 
that baby gets off that bus from church camp and gets in the car and you probably have a fight on the way home Mm -hmm. because the enemy knows that something great has happened in their life and they want to distract from it. So I, we always told our parents in student ministry, please have such grace for that first 24 hours that they're home and let them kind of readjust to life at home and allow them to talk as they want to. Don't pepper them with a thousand questions. It will come out. It's just maybe they're tired and they need a nap. Yeah, because there is, there is that um, tendency for a mama to almost hope uh, subconsciously that you send them off to camp and they're going to come home full of Jesus and be real sweet and do the dishes without being asked and stuff. And then they come home and they're still the same kid and now they're exhausted. Yes. And you could potentially say the thing that you don't want to say, which is, well, I'm glad you learned nothing at camp yes. about how to be Jesus to me, you know, yes. or some snarky comment, yes. you know, to throw it back in their face. Yes. No. It, and it's, you know, just like you said, we hate to do that. But again, I look at myself and I go, I can go to church all weekend and I sure can Monday morning be a bear to my family. For so sure. we all have those experiences ourselves. But I also think that there is something to say for consistency too. putting your child, not in that situation just one time, but several times. Yeah. Um, start at an age where they're, they feel comfortable and you're comfortable sending them to camp and then let them experience that several times. Yeah. One time is not going to do it. They need um, the introduction of Jesus into their life throughout the stages. Because just like we talked about with transitions, the tween transition, the teen transition, the launching transition when they head out of home into college, and then even now as adults, I have transitions as a mom where I need to be back in the presence of God and a community of people to help me learn something in this phase. Yes. Make that a priority in your home for your kids to be in a situation where they can go and hear from the Lord on their own in the presence of a community with godly leaders. Yes, love it. That's so good. I am so glad we touched on that because I feel like it's super timely. We're all about to be going through this deal, and we want to handle it well with intentionality and remember what our kids are going through. And if your son only texts you one time while he's gone, (laughs) even though you have tried to reach out multiple times, Uh just trust that he's having fun. Yeah. Great. He doesn't need you. No. It's okay. It's actually a good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah. It's a good sign. Calling you from the payphone. Yes. So I I think it's so good that we're talking about faith. Uh, We have to talk it because it matters significantly. In fact, it matters most. So we have been referencing this book, Are My Kids on Track, by Sissy Goff, David Thomas, and Melissa Trevathan. I know. I I say it different every time. Okay. Throughout this study. Melissa T. Yeah. Okay. Mel T. Mel T. So we've been referencing them. If you listen to any of the audio recordings, um, you're going to hear us talk about this book. It's been kind of our um, uniting thread throughout. We're taking principles from these beautiful things that they've taught. And uh, in their section on spiritual milestones, they say this, and I love this, so I'm going to quote this directly. The new science, according to Dr. Miller, says that your child's spiritual development, in fact, means more than anything else. She goes on to say, And yet all of those conversations, elaborate schedules of extracurricular activities, and high aspirations often miss the single most crucial ingredient of all. The only thing that science has shown to reliably predict fulfillment and success and thriving, a child's spiritual development. Wow. Yes. Okay. Let's do that. Right. It matters most. It matters more than gymnastics team. It matters more than, you know. Piano lessons. Yes. It matters more. Yes. Uh, and this here's another quote. Research shows that children who have positive relationships to spirituality are 40% less likely to use and abuse substances. 
They have 60% less propensity for depression than other teenagers. Brain imaging data shows that the cerebral cortex of the brain is thicker for those who have an active spiritual life. A thin cerebral cortex often accompanies depression and Alzheimer's. In addition, those who have a defining sense of faith have more regulated levels of cortisol in their brains. Cortisol is considered a stress hormone, and when dysregulated or sustained at higher levels, can slow growth in children and wear on the brain and body. So there's science. I love it when it's like, science! Wow. (laughs) This research is there to back up what God knows, what's been in God's word and the Bible all along. But finally, science is catching up to show, okay, yeah, there's actually evidence that this is true. That's amazing. And finally, let me just say this little factoid. In case there might be other geeks on the other side of the mic that, like, love the stats, okay? So this is for you guys. For the rest of y'all, just hang in there. I'm almost done. Mom matters in the child's faith journey, as proved by a study done in 1997 about what happens when a mother and child share a sense of faith. 80% were protected against suffering a major depression between 16 and 26 years old, and 90% protected if a grandparent was involved in addition to their mothers. I got chills. Right? I got chills. There's this, there's this protection. There's this, like, stabilizing Almost like putting up walls like yes. around a city to fortify. Yes. When a child, a grandmother, yes, and then the mother and then the child are able to share a faith. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I don't know if this is in your notes, but it reminds me of in Second Timothy where Paul says to yes. Timothy, the faith that was in your mother and Lois your grandmother. And yeah. And they raised him in the faith. Yes. And then he became one of Paul's prodigies and That's he went right. out and preached. But he had that stable foundation of these women in his life that were modeling it for him, and it helped him get through all that growing up here so that he could go off and do what God wanted him to do. Yes, so good. That's exactly it. So we, you talked a little bit earlier about little children, right? And as little children, our resp- responsibility as their mom is, is to bring our children to Jesus, right? We bring them to church. We read them the Bible. We sing songs and watch movies. We teach them to memorize verses with hand motions and everything, right? The major transition in this phase of their lives is that instead of us bringing the child to Jesus, our kid needs to start going to Jesus on their own. They need to have ownership in their relationship with God where their faith becomes their own. That doesn't mean, of course, that we stop taking them to church or doing the things we were doing with them before. But now we are encouraging them to go to God and talk to him when they are struggling. We are reminding them to go write in their journal and look up scriptures that will help them through this time where they are turning on the worship music on their own instead of us just turning it on. So I love this progression because I think we see this in one of the disciples, and his name was Simon Peter. And the first time that we meet Simon Peter is through his brother Andrew. And it tells us in John 1, um, it's in verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John, John the Baptist, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And so that's how it goes at first, right? Just like Andrew did, we take our own little Simon Peters and we bring them to Jesus. And we're going to reference this again later. But in that moment that Jesus met him, he looked at him and he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated Peter, which means little rock. So the moment he meets Jesus, you know, he gives him this name, but that's why we call him Simon Peter, just to cover both of our bases. Because at one time he was Simon, at one time he was Peter. Okay. (laughs) So 
we know that over time, then Simon Peter becomes a disciple of Jesus, right? He starts to grow in his faith. And instead of Andrew having to bring Simon Peter to Jesus, now Simon is ready to go to Jesus himself. And if you remember the story in Matthew 14, when the disciples are in the boat and they see what looks like a ghost out walking on the water, and then they realize that it is Jesus. And Peter answered him and and he says, "Um, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to you, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I think that's a beautiful picture of what it looks like for our tweens and teens, that they are now saying to Jesus, tell me to come to you. I'm going to, I want to come to you. But it's not going to look perfectly, guys. They're going to step out on that water and a storm is going to come and they're going to look around at their circumstances or their friends or what's going on and they may start to sink because they have little faith, right? But they have something. There's something there and they're owning it. They're ready to start doing the courageous thing and coming to Jesus on their own. Yes. But there's going to be these troubles, right? And then there's this beautiful moment, you know, then, then Peter follows him for these years. Jesus um, dies on the cross. We know Peter struggled with that. He did many things there that were part of his struggle and his truly realizing who Jesus was and owning it and not denying it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then after Jesus is resurrected, um, actually after Jesus has passed away and he's come back to earth, but they have not seen him yet in his resurrected body. The disciples are out fishing and they're out fishing and there's someone on the shore talking to them and asking them how many fish they've caught. And then they realize that it is Jesus. And it says in John 21, seven, it says that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And so we see this progression of Simon Peter from first Andrew has to bring him to Jesus. Then Simon Peter is ready to like try try and start walking to Jesus on his own. And now he sees Jesus and he flings himself out toward him with reckless abandon and just starts swimming toward this Jesus that he knows is the answer right? He knows this is the guy he needs. He loves Jesus. And it's this progression of his faith. And man, I sure hope that we are in the phase right now where we just are, we just throw ourselves. We see Jesus and we jump off that boat. We're like, we're coming. Yes. Right. Well, and that's what we want for our kids. That's our prayer for our kids. And so I think that's such a beautiful picture that God gave us in the gospels that I would have never pieced together had you not put all these three stories together that show us what our, our spiritual goal for our kids is. Yeah. Yes. Well, and then we're going to we're going to circle back on a little bit more than what happens to Simon Peter, right? But I wanted to stop down and talk about before we segue there. I want us to talk about two important reasons for ownership. Why they need to make their faith their own in this stage of their life. One is so that it lasts. We want this to be solid. I cannot tell you how many times I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but Jeremy used to work in the connection, serve in the connection center at our church. And it's where people who are ready to join the church or who are ready to um, make a salvation proclamation. Those are big church words. <laughs> decision. To, decision to be baptized. You hey, know. Jesus, I'm ready. 
So they come in, and part of what happens in the Connection Center is that they tell their faith story, you know? So you say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. And I am telling you, Jeremy, it just, it wore him out over and over, just in sadness, because what he heard all the time was, well, my parents believed I've just always come to church. But there was no ownership for them. It had never become their own. And so he had to help them see okay, that is great. That laid a good foundation for you, but this has to be your own. Yes, yes. And we want our children, we want it to be their own. Um, One of the reasons I, I wrote a study years ago, Rebecca and I did this together called the Freshman 15, and it came out of uh, this this desire in my heart to make sure that high school kids had this ownership so that they, when they went to college, they didn't become a statistic. Because at that time, a study came out that is used over and over today that helped us see that only one in five students in college will retain their spiritual practices. One in five. So sad. 20%. Because there was no, there was no ownership. It, it wasn't their own, right? Well, and I just saw on our social media for our church that one of the breakouts at camp that's happening right now is them teaching students to talk about their faith story. And then they actually put them in pairs and they say, go tell somebody your faith story. Amazing. It's one of those things that I think as believers, we're like, well, I got a faith story. I can tell it to you. But then when you're actually put on the spot to do it, you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Yes. So I love the idea that they're helping our teens do that right now. Can you tell your faith story? I love that. Is it your own? I love that. That is so good. I think the second reason that ownership is important is because it forms their identity. Our children right now, more than ever in this stage, are looking to be defined of who they are, right? So they'll say, you know, I'm a book nerd, or I'm a soccer player, I'm a gamer. Those things are all external and change, and can change from day to day. We want to help them build their identities on something that is eternal, deeper, lasting. Their desire for identity is placed there by God. And they will be disappointed looking to find their meaning, purpose, who they are in anything but their identity as God's child first and foremost. You know, if you think about it, if they're all about being a straight A student, what happens when they don't get straight A's? Or if they're all about being a soccer star, what happens when they don't make the varsity team or they don't make the team at all? Their identity can't be about how great or special they are. And I think that's an area where moms, we have to be careful in this identity stage. I feel like I almost over-encourage my kids. Oh, you're so amazing. You're so great. You're the best thing in the universe. You know? Yes. And we do that because we've been told, you have to encourage, you have to encourage. But at some point, kind of in this area of their lives, we have to help them see your identity is in Christ and That is important because you may not be the best in every area of your life, right? Yes. And so many times the things that we did when we were tweens and teens, we don't do when we're adults. Heck no. Nobody cares what team I was on when I was in seventh grade. No. C-team volleyball, in case you're wondering. Same same C-team volleyball. Come on, shout out. Yeah. But it's so funny when you say that because you're so right. Like my identity in Christ doesn't change. There you go. It doesn't go away. It doesn't get less. It doesn't get more. Like the amount of identity God has in me from the moment that I am born and then receive him as my Savior and Lord. Like that is unchanging. Yes. That is what makes you special. 
That is what makes your life important. That is why you exist, you know, because God made you. He created you. You're his child. He wants to display his glory through you. He has gifted you. When we can root them in all of those foundational truths that are eternal instead of external, that is game changing for them. Well, and that takes work as a mom to stop yourself from constantly complimenting the outward things they do, there you the go. things that they excel at, and starting to recognize the inner qualities that represent their creator. Yes, that's exactly right. So if you remember, Jesus, when he first met Peter, he changed his name, which seems kind of weird, you know, like the first time you meet somebody, but he was giving him a new identity right? Yes. He was trying to tell him, this is who you really are. Let me give you your new identity. Because remember when he met him in John one, he looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which then is translated Peter, which means rock. So he was saying to him, I know who you really are and you will become this identity that I'm giving you. That right? is so cool. And that is the, that is where we want to be tracking with our kids and as our, with ourselves as mamas, that we say, Jesus, what identity have you given me? And it's that already not yet concept where he gives it to me now. And then I get to grow and walk in that and become more of who he has said I am as my life progresses. Right. And that's that difference in that childlike faith, you know, where Peter had that little faith. Yes. And it was like, for now, this is what you need. This is what you know. Yes. But as you walk with me, I'm going to reveal more and more of myself and I'm going to teach you more about who you are. Yes. And that's ultimately what I want for my kids. I want them to leave my home being so sure of who they are in Jesus Christ. Yes. That nothing this world throws at them is going to shake them. That's right. And if you remember, um, Jesus tells him later, he says, you know, on this rock, I will build my church. And what he meant there was on this profession of faith, that Peter had made on this profession of faith, I'm going to build my church. And that whole rock concept stuck with Peter. And as it became his identity, then later on, he starts to pass that identity along to other believers, which is the next step in the faith, right? Yes. And so in second Peter two, he says this, He's talking to believers and he says, now you are coming to him as to a living stone. Even though this stone was rejected by humans from God's perspective, it is chosen and valuable. You yourselves are being built like living stones into a spiritual temple. You are being made into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into this amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And that's the next step. That's what it looks like in the next step of progression of faith is that you so own your identity and who you are in God that you are able to help others see who they are, right? You're able to communicate that to others and become a blessing to others. Peter was so sure. Now, these years ago when God had called him a rock, he didn't know exactly what that was going to mean, but now he gets it. He gets that he is part of the building of God's people and that he's part of this royal priesthood, this chosen race, that he can shine the light of Jesus in the world, and he's passing that on to others. That's one of the reasons that I think your kids being in small group is so important because 
all of them are maturing at different stages. And there is a kid in that room that's a little bit farther along in their faith than Mm -hmm. they are. And you want them to be in a place where they can see that student walking towards Jesus and throwing them, flinging themselves at Jesus and choosing to not listen to the crowd or the popular whatever. And you want them to see that and then begin to go, I want that. Yeah. And so we need to be praying for our teenagers to be leaders to be at the point in their journey with Christ where they can begin looking around them and saying, come with me. Yes. Let's go do this together. Yes. I love that. So in the midst of so much change in their bodies, emotions, school, friend groups, what doesn't change is the deepest things that are true about them. They are sinful. They will fail. They won't always get it right. Don't forget that part. That's important. They need to know that they're not going to be perfect all the time. They are fallible. But they are loved, chosen, hidden with Christ and God. They have new mercies, new hope, and God wants to use them to be a blessing to others. So I want to tell you a little bit about my Caleb, who's now 13. You know, going into middle school, he started middle school last year and heading into it as a seventh grader. You know, I remembered being a seventh grader and I knew the boxes I needed to check to have the right friends, to be with the right group, to have people like me, to be popular. I knew what clothes I needed to wear. I knew what sports I needed to be a part of. I knew what friend group. And so as he went into middle school, I started seeing myself wanting to check those boxes for him. And so, you know, I wanted him to get new clothes. I wanted him to play particular sports. I wanted him to hang out with certain kids. And let me tell you, Becca, my kid just does not care about that stuff. You know? (laughs) Yes. I take him to academy and I am willing to like, pay a college, you know, semester to help him make sure he has <laughs> the cool gear to go to school. You know, don't you want this cool backpack? Don't you want these cool shoes? And he's like, you know, I really don't care. Let's just go to Old Navy. Get me the $5 shorts. Get me the $5 shirt, you know? And I'm like, are you sure, bud? I'm pretty sure this needs to have a swoosh, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, he didn't He didn't want to play the sports that I had picked out from him, you know? And he, he didn't necessarily want to take the track I had for him. And it was hard, to be honest with you, to, like, relinquish some of that control because I want him to be successful in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. But let me tell you something. I went into his bedroom, and we were getting – it was his seventh grade year, and um, I was getting him ready for the first day of school. And I went into his room early in the morning to make sure that he was getting dressed and everything. And you know what that kid was doing? He was reading his Bible. Stop it. And he was writing in his journal. And he did that every day of his seventh grade year. And he's done it every day this summer. I had no control over that. Right. It wasn't something I pushed him to do. It wasn't something I made him do. That was God working in him. Yes. And so I just, I want to encourage moms of tweens. You know, I think it's hard because we do know, we remember middle school and early high school and like what the world tells us that we need to do to be successful. And by the grace of God, this child is making his faith his own. Yes. And that's what is most important to him. And praise God that my silliness did not get in the way of getting his priorities off track. Yes. You know? And I am so thankful that that God has offered him this grace that he could have this relationship with him at this young age where he loves God's word. Yes. And wants to read it every day and will wake up early so that he does. Yes. I just want to give a shout out to moms that are sitting there right now listening to this going, oh my gosh, mine's not doing that. Oh yeah, sure. 
we're, we're past that. Yeah. We're in high school or whatever. Yeah. Listen, mama, just start today. Yeah. Just sit down before the Lord today. Because honestly, we need stories like this to remind us what's important because we all too often get caught up in the things of this world. Mm. So it's so good for us when we hear a mama share, this is what my kid's doing. And it's not something that I wished on them. It's something that God did in them. Yeah. And I want to go sit before the Lord right now and say, God, forgive me mm. for wanting different things. Would you do this in my child? Yes. Would you go before the Lord right now and on behalf of your child, beg for him to intercede with their life and to do a work in them. Yeah. Because when that child, just like Kate said, when that child ends up doing it, it's not anything that you did and you you take no glory in it, Yeah. but you look back at Jesus and you say, thank you. Yes. And so we're so thankful that students that do that and the students that will do it in the future and the students that are currently making their faith their own and getting there. Yeah. And what an amazing goal for us to say, you know what? I'm just going to start praying. Yes. That that's what the Lord does in my kid. Yes. Well, and I, I think that's so good because like, and I, I honestly, I'm not taking any credit for that. That was just not something I did. That was God. And that was his grace. And I, I want you to hear, you know, I think we've, if you've been around the church a minute, you might've heard the verse from Proverbs 22, six that says, train up the ch- a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the closing thought I would like to leave you moms with is this scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go. The training for our children is personalized. It's special to that child. It doesn't say train up a child in this particular way, do it this exact way. No, we need to train up a child in the way that child should go. What does this child need at this time? Because we are going to experience different things as our kids are wrestling with their faith. You may have a kid that doesn't want to go to church. And for one kid, the answer may be, Okay, hey, well, in our family, we go to church, and when you're old enough, you can make the decision not to go. And so that child you bring along to church with you, and that's a decision you've made. But you may have a child that says, I don't want to go to church, and you hear the Holy Spirit tell you and give you wisdom that this could be damaging to this child, and you say, okay, I'm going to allow you to stay home, or whatever tactic it is, because that is what that child needs. There will be circumstances where they potentially have a boyfriend or girlfriend that you're not crazy about or a friend group. And it's just, y'all, there is not one cookie cutter right way for our kids. That's the hard part, but that's the beautiful part where we lean on Jesus and he gives us wisdom. And we, just like Rebecca said, we have our hands off and we go, oh, that was God. That was God doing that deal because this is specialized to this child and he's giving me wisdom and how to love on this particular child. So in all of this, in, in passing on our faith to our children, all I can say is ask God for wisdom. Just ask him for wisdom. Go to him yourself on your knees. Ask him to help grow your own relationship with him where you want to get up in the morning and spend time with him. And if you can, maybe go do it in a spot where your kids are going to see you and just model that out for them and keep asking for wisdom. Keep putting worship music on old girl, you know, our, our Alexa, I hope I don't make her go off in anybody's house, but keep putting the worship music on, keep taking them to church and then start helping those tweens make their faith their own and ask God for wisdom. Even in that moms, we love you so much. 
We are crazy about you. We are so thankful that you tuned in here to hear the rest of the episodes from our tween to teen series. Remember that you can go to patreon.com slash gather moms. And if you support us at any amount, you get that exclusive content emailed right to you. Okay. We love you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks moms. Oh, 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 oh,